have been going through this series called Unraveled. Um, it's an unraveling of the, thing, of the way we knew things to be. There's a lot of unraveling going on lately, isn't there? Uh, I mean, it's still going on, and we're trying to figure out so much of how do we do this, and, and how do we do this. I mean, we're even seeing it in church, right? We're, we're trying to figure out ways to worship together. Um, but you know what? Unraveling doesn't have to be a bad thing. There has been a lot of moments in the past few months where I've said, I'm not able to, to do this, or, or this this year is not going to happen. Um, and then I say, well, it has to happen. And then I start thinking, but does it? Does it need to happen? Uh, like I'm, I'm so busy all the time, and now we're having some more time on our hands. And I realize how much time I've wasted in, in so many years. And I have to come to the realization that I waste a lot of time that doesn't need to actually be wasted and it can be used for better things. And this unraveling is giving us a chance to self-reflect and take a look at all the pieces in our lives. Unraveling isn't always a bad thing. And that's what we're seeing here. Today we are going to go really deep. That's what Jesus often did, is he always went deep with people. We're going to deal with a, a subject that's actually really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And the subject is shame. For some people, shame is an easy thing to point out. Here's my shame, there it is, that's what it is, Here, and I have to deal with it. For other people, it's something you really have to dig and dig and dig to understand and know about yourself, where your shame is. And that's why I say it's different for a lot of people. Today we're going to look at a character in the Bible and a time when Jesus was speaking to this woman. And, uh, and she had shame. And Jesus pointed out that shame. So here it is. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. It's a long read today, but I, I ask you to just kind of sit in and try to absorb as much of this story as you can. John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, 
You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, and gave us the, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I want to tell you about a time where I felt a lot of shame. Nikki and I were serving at a camp uh, to help out with youth and communities. It was a camp where youth came and stayed at a high school and they would go out and serve in the community and work on houses to repair things. And uh, we were site coaches. So we went out to the different sites uh, and, and we helped coach the kids and, and the adults on how to do the, the projects on the, on the site. And uh, there was a lot of pranks going on that week. And they were getting out of hand and uh, we, we were pranking each other and having fun, but it got out of hand. And so, we're driving around, and uh, I see Nikki's car, my wife, uh, in front of a house. And I was driving with her sister, and I said, I have the keys to that car. Let's go and steal the car. And Nikki will think that someone stole the car. Um, yes, it, it, it was getting out of hand, like I said. And uh, so I gave the keys to her sister. Her sister took the car and peeled out, um, making a really big scene. Um, what I did not know about the car was that Nikki was driving around a friend of ours who was a photographer who had $80,000 worth 
of photography equipment in that car. Had no idea about that, by the way. Uh, Nikki called me hysterical, hoping that it was me, and it was. Um, but nobody, nobody was laughing at this joke. I felt so much shame um, that I, I, I hurt so many people and got so many people scared. And I remember uh, there was nothing that could cover up that shame that I felt that week. I went uh, and bought everybody Starbucks, uh, their favorite drinks. And that did not cover up the shame that I felt. I, I went out and uh, the, the photographer that was there, he had a volunteer job that week and he had to make the meals in the morning and at night. And, and I would go real early and help him out with the meals that he was making before I went and did my job as a psych coach. That did not cover up the shame that I felt in any of that. I felt embarrassed and I felt so much shame. I often go on runs and when I go on runs I think a lot. Uh, you know, often when we do things like that we, we think about life and we remember things and, and images will pop into my head as I go on these runs and I, I remember things I did or said when I was younger. And I was a pretty good guy. I always tried to, to treat people pretty well, but I was also selfish too, as, as we all are, right? And an image will, will pop into my head and I'll think, why did I do that? Why did I do that back then? And often I can link it back to my insecurity, right? Not knowing who I was. And man, I'm so glad as, as, as hopefully you are too, that back then they didn't have the kind of social media that they have now to, to kind of uh, document some of these things, right? My shame, like many of your shame, comes from unknowingly doing or saying things that hurt somebody. That's where my shame often came from. Shame is a tough thing to live with. Often, um, people who have that kind of shame, they, they mask it with something. Uh, they, they do something to cover up that shame so that they don't feel that shame anymore. And very often, the things that they mask that shame with is, could be harmful to themselves or someone else. Um, that's why I said um, that it's hard when you have to uncover and find what your shame is because so many people mask it over time and they layer it and layer it and mask it with all these sorts of different things to mask their shame that, that often when you have to go figure out and you want to get better, there's a lot of digging that needs to be going on to get to what the, the original shame was because we, we bury it on and we pile it on thick. The woman at the well did not have to dig very far. Jesus pointed out her shame right away. The story has several tiers of things that we need to, to look through. First, Jesus comes to that well, and the well is in Samaria. You know, um, if you are a Jew at that time, you stayed away from Samaria. There, there's historical reasons, there's religious reasons, um, but this, this region of Samaria was right in, in the middle of, of 
all of the other regions around that area. And so Jews always went around Samaria, but Jesus didn't care. Jesus went right to Samaria. Um, and then there's another tear. She's a woman, and he is a man, and they're talking in the middle of the day. But then, why is she there in the middle of the day? W women, when they went to the water to get water from that well, they went in the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when it wasn't so hot. Why was she there in the middle of the day? There's all of these things, these barriers here. Um, but Jesus doesn't care. I love Jesus' ability to take an image and bring it to light that, that connects to something that, that the person, the individual, is dealing with. And he uses water here and thirst. A asking her if he could get a drink. And she's like, why are you asking me for, for water? Uh, I'm just a Samaritan. Um, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Why are you asking me? He says, if you knew who I am, you would know that if you asked, I would give you living water. Not water that, that will just fade, right? Living water. She's confused, and she's like, you don't have a jar to even get the water down there in the well. So, like, how could you possibly give me living water? What? That's crazy. And then he's like, the water down there, you get that water, you drink it, you're going to be thirsty again. But the water that I give, you're never going to thirst. It's going to quench a thirst in you that you'll never be thirsty again. Because it comes from God. She's like, I want that water. Then Jesus cuts right to the shame and points it out. Because if you're going to go deep spiritually, you know, and not just have a kind of surfacey faith, if you're going to cut real deep, you have to cut down to the layer of what your shame is. What are you masking? Jesus says, call your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right. Um, you had five. And the one you're living with right now is, is not even your husband. Many jump to the facts and, and just assume that she's kind of a harlot, um, a, a not well woman. And they don't think about the aspect of this. Many husbands at that time can divorce for any grounds. Uh, they didn't like the food that you cooked. They could divorce. Uh, they don't like how you act or maybe something about your family. They could divorce you. And one big reason that a man could divorce a woman was infertility. You see, men got their worth from having children, specifically boy children, right? And men very often would divorce in the grounds of infertility. And so there is a pain that is there with this woman that could very well be from infertility. Maybe she just kept meeting men who hurt her and finding another man who hurt her. Um, Jesus saw her pain, and he did not avoid that pain. He cut really deep 
and put a finger on what that pain was. Because if you're going to unravel your shame, you have to identify what that shame is. And that's what he did. Jesus uses the water to tell her that she keeps looking for things to quench her thirst, to mask her shame, and it's not working. She could find the greatest husband of all time who would treat her so well. But that will only quench it temporarily. Because what she still has is the pain of the five husbands that rejected her. There's still a shame there. There's still a pain that is in her. The thirst and the shame will eventually come back, won't it? Just as our shame eventually comes back if we don't deal with it. The woman is hurting. Her shame will not go away. Unless she's given something that can deal with it in an eternal, forever way. Finding our shame is actually really difficult work. There's layers of things that we have to dig into, things that we have to remember, things that we don't really want to talk about, but we have to talk about them. And you may need to dig at things that you're not really proud of. And we all have this brokenness in us. We all have it. Some of us just have to dig harder than others. I saw someone I knew recently, and I saw them in public. And, um, and I was talking to them and, and, and uh, just saying hi and things like that. And, and they had uh, co-workers. And uh, as I was walking away, one of the co-workers must have known that I was a pastor and said, Ah, oh, he's a sinner! He's a sinner! And I yelled back, aren't we all? And I wish I said, so am I. And so, because he would be really confused that a pastor would say that. But isn't that so true? Aren't we all sinners? Don't we all have layers of sin in our lives? And, and your pastor has that too. We all could be the woman at the well who could use a, a, a visit from a Savior in Jesus. We all could be sitting at that well with our shame. We would realize that we have been quenching a thirst and masking a thirst for so long. The best part of this passage is what happens at the end. This woman gets so excited about her interaction with Jesus and, and she wants to tell people that she just saw the Messiah, and, and he told me about things of, that are in my life that I did, and I didn't tell him, and nobody, I don't know anybody that knows him. Nobody could know that kind of stuff. When she did that, she left her pitcher at the well. Isn't that an amazing metaphor? The pitcher is a metaphor for how she was quenching her thirst. And no longer did she need a pitcher anymore to quench her thirst. She had living water that did that. I don't know what you are quenching your thirst with, what you are masking, but the Messiah in Jesus can quench that 
thirst, that we don't have to carry around these pitchers anymore. What is your pitcher? How do you quench your thirst? Where is it? And my question for you today is, do you want that kind of living water? All the woman was invited to do was ask for it. She didn't have to do anything specific. She didn't have to be a good person to not uh, figure out her husband's situation, which she wasn't asked to do any of that. All we need to do is ask, and we are given living water. But the question is, do you want it? Do you want to not be thirsty? 